0: are finishing our little mini-series in short Old Testament books that you've probably never heard of um, in Habakkuk. And uh, I just want to prepare you that Habakkuk is probably the most difficult book we will do in this series. Um, and for the longest time, there were only three verses in the whole book that I really understood, the last three verses. They're legit. That's part of the reason we're doing this uh, this whole study. But let me, uh, I want to give you guys a couple of, um, brief uh, background things to help you guys understand uh, when we read Habakkuk 1, okay, so just a few things, so first uh, Habakkuk's context, all right, this book was written uh, at the end of the kingdom of Judah, so just big story summarized very quickly, God saved his people, and for about five to 600 years, They just kept doing worse and worse and worse terrible things. At this point in Judah's history, (coughs) here's kind of what's going on, okay? Uh, The temple, the place God had made to dwell, has fallen into disrepair because nobody uses it anymore. Uh, People in Judah are making child sacrifices to Molech. Yes, they are sacrificing their children uh, to pagan gods. Uh, There might be a righteous king on the throne, but all of his officials... Are evil. They are actively, not just passive, but actively oppressing the poor and the orphaned. Okay, so that's where we are. God's people are doing that. Okay, so and here's uh, Habakkuk's issue. All right, he is a righteous man, and he knows uh, a few righteous people, and all of them are being oppressed by the wicked. And um, he has been praying, apparently for a very long time, that God would do something. He keeps praying and nothing happens. It looks very much like God is not answering his prayers, that God does not care about all these ter- terrible things going on. Okay? Um, and this book is uh, almost unique in the Scriptures in that it is a dialogue between a frustrated prophet and God. Habakkuk only speaks to God. God, God speaks primarily to Habakkuk. They're talking about this. God's bring- or Habakkuk's bringing his, what are you doing, Lord? And the Lord is answering him. The answers are a little bit surprising, okay? Uh, And let me just, uh, so we got context. We've got kind of the uniqueness of this book. Let me just kind of walk you through what we are about to read really quickly. So verses 2 to 4 are Habakkuk's first complaint to the Lord, right? Things are really bad. You're not doing anything about it. What's up, all right? Uh, The Lord's answer is in verses 5 to 11, and the answer is basically, I'm going to bring a foreign nation to destroy you. That's the answer. Alright. Not surprisingly, Habakkuk asked another question. Uh, chapter 1, verse 12 to two, one. How in the world is that a good idea, Lord? Okay? That's what's there. Alright. And then finally, um, the part we will focus primarily on today uh, is the Lord's second answer to Habakkuk in chapter 2, verses 2, verse. Uh, chapter 2, verse 2 to 4. Okay? So if you've ever, um, if you've ever questioned God's justice, or His providence, or His rule over the world, and what He's allowed to happen to you, and around you, this book is for you. You're going to find uh, not just Habakkuk's questions, but many of ours are answered here. So let's uh, let's hear the scriptures and uh, pray that we can respond in faith. Habakkuk one. The 2, 4. The oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw. O Lord, how long shall I cry for help, and you will not hear, or cry to you violence, and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity, and why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. So the law is paralyzed, and justice never goes forth. The wicked surround the righteous, so justice goes forth perverted. The Lord's answer, look among the nations and see, wonder, and be astounded, for I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation, who march through the breadth of the earth and seize dwellings not their own. They are dreaded and fearsome. Their justice and dignity go forth from themselves. Their horses are swifter than leopards. They're more fierce than the evening wolves. Their horsemen press proudly on. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle, swift to devour. They come for violence. All their faces forward. They gather captives like sand. At kings they scoff, and at rulers they laugh. They laugh at every fortress. They pile up earth and take it. Then they sweep by like the wind and go on, guilty men whose own might is their God. Question two. Are you not from everlasting, O Lord, my God, my Holy One? We shall not die. O Lord, you have ordained them as a judgment, and you, O Rock, have established them for reproof. You who are of purer eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong, why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he? You make mankind like the fish of the sea, like crawling things that have no ruler. He brings all of them up with a hook. Drags them out with his net. He gathers them in his dragnet. And he rejoices and is glad. Therefore, he sacrifices to his net and makes offering to his dragnet. For by them he lives in luxury and makes his food rich. Is he then to keep on emptying his net and mercilessly killing nations forever? I will take my stand at my watchpost and station myself on the tower and look out to see what he will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. Lord, uh, thank you for your word, and that uh, your word speaks to the difficult issues. We have a situation here that would just be astounding if we were in it, and you speak. You do not, do not remain silent. So please, uh, please speak to us and the difficulties we face and the questions we have this morning. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So the day my first daughter was born, uh, we woke up walked downstairs, looked outside, and a drunk driver had ran over our mailbox. And that's uh, very surprising because we live in the way back of a cul-de-sac. So like, there's like five houses beyond ours. There are no drivers. But this day, um, the drunk driver ran over our mailbox. We walked downstairs, go a little bit near to the kitchen, and start to notice some water on the floor. And uh, learned yesterday that uh, the AC repairman, that we had, we had, you know, come to service our, our unit, you know, because we're getting ready for a baby, we want the AC to work. Well, he, uh, he broke it, and it flooded uh, our laundry room and kitchen. And at that moment, with my, you know, water in the ankles, uh, my 39-week pregnant wife looked at me and said, you know, my dad used to always say it comes in threes. <laughs> and uh, you all know, know the rest of the story, right? She goes to her doctor's appointment, has a uh, dangerous level of protein in her urine, And they sent her to the hospital to be induced not what we planned and almost prophetically from my father-in-law it came in threes and um one question i've always wanted to ask the lord um, it's just something that seems to be a part of the world uh, but has never been explained to me it's not in the scriptures is why is life so often just piled on there's never just one thing at a time right it seems like things are just peachy or they're painful. You don't just have relational struggles. You have relational struggles after a terrible week at work when you're sick and not sleeping well. Um, when it rains, why is it pouring? That's what I want to ask. Lord, why do you just pile it on sometimes? That's a pretty, uh, that's a pretty mild question to ask the Lord, uh, but it's one of many uh, questions about how God governs his world. Why does he govern it the way he does? Why does he allow the things he allows? Um, and there are two, two biblical commitments that we have to agree on before we can enter Habakkuk's world here. Okay, And uh, they're, they're, they're ones that Christians have agreed on for thousands of years that are in a little bit of debate uh, today in some circles. And the first is that God is 100% good. That he's always doing good. And the second is that God is 100% sovereign. As the psalms say that he does everything he pleases, even in the hard and evil things that happen in the world. And one of the greatest, sometimes one of the greatest struggles of being a Christian, who believes that God is both good and both sovereign, is living in an evil, broken world where unspeakable things happen. Um... There are hundreds of questions that we ask, like, if God is good and sovereign, why do school shootings happen? Why do single moms get cancer? Why does my evil boss prosper, even though he's wicked? Why are dictators and terrorists and the men who commit genocides all over the world living in luxury right now, going to sleep at night, no pangs of conscience? Why does that happen? Or if God is good and sovereign, why am I so lonely? Why aren't all my questions answered? How in the world is my sickness or my sleeplessness or whatever building the kingdom? How does that work? In all these questions, we could sum up all these questions in one question, okay? Lord, if you are really bringing righteousness to the world, if you really have a good plan, why does so much evil happen around me and in me? Are you really behind all that? What are you doing in that? And that is the main issue in Habakkuk. That's the main question he has for the Lord, and the main question the Lord answers today. So first, uh, we're going to see that God is working good his way in the hardest of circumstances. So look at first question. This is verse 2, okay? O oh Lord, how long shall I cry for help, and you will not hear? He describes Habakkuk describes what's going on, all right? Verse 3, he is seeing iniquity. There is destruction and violence before him. Verse 4, it's so bad that God's law, his justice, his morality, right? It's paralyzed. It can't do anything, all Right. And then, at the end of verse 4, the wicked surround the righteous. They're like hungry lions, and they're winning, okay? The righteous people are praying. Nothing's happening. The wicked win, all right? That's what's going on. Habakkuk sees that. It's happening in his life, okay? He's praying. Nothing's happening, all right? That is what's going on. And he's looking around, and he's just saying, I cannot reconcile these two things. Lord, I know who you are. I know that you're good. I know that you're sovereign. But I I see my life, and it makes absolutely no sense. And uh, here's God's reply to Habakkuk. And 5 to 11, and this is, uh, if it wasn't so horrible, it would be hilarious, okay? Um, God is bringing good, not just through hard circumstances, but through horrifying judgment. His answer is in verse 5 and 6. He, first 5 is a call to be astounded at what God is going to do. Verse 6 says, I'm raising up the Chaldeans, which would soon be the Babylonian Empire, which would come and conquer and destroy Judah. (coughs) He describes the Babylonians as a bitter and hasty nation who marches through the earth. Even their horses are mean. They're swifter than leopards, fiercer than evening wolves. They come quickly. They come, in verse 9, for violence. They love violence. They come up to castles and fortresses and laugh at them because their military might very end, verse 11 describes them, they are guilty men whose might is their God. And uh, the Lord doesn't explicitly say this, but the idea here is my solution for all the evil and injustice in your land is to bring a worse nation to come destroy your nation and your land. Now, just imagine, okay, let's imagine you are that Christian baker, all right? Who would not cook a cake for a gay wedding? And they have sued you and won, and you now owe them hundreds of thousands of dollars, and your life has been crippled, your business has been destroyed, all because you were walking with Jesus. And you keep praying, and you keep asking, no answer. All right. And maybe let's just say things get worse in America. All of these bad things are happening, and even right now. If you look around, uh, three thousand children are aborted every single day in America. Right? You're looking at those things. You're hearing them. You're praying. Right? you're saying, "God, what are you doing? Why are you letting this happen to me? What's going on?" And he answers you in a dream, okay? In a vision that you know from knows from God, okay? And here's a here's the dream, all right? Nuclear missiles detonated on Washington D.C. Chinese tanks rolling down the Ravenel Bridge. Russian fighter jets destroying San Francisco. America conquered, Americans slaughtered, Americans systematically enslaved and deported to the worst parts of Russia and China. And God speaks to you and he says, this is my answer to the bad stuff going on in America. This is what I'm going to do. That's the answer Habakkuk gets. How do you respond to that? Maybe you're like, I'm never praying again, you know. (laughs) No, that's not what Habakkuk does, um, even though that would be understandable. Uh, He engages his shock and his surprise at this Seemingly horrifying thing with more questions to the Lord. His next complaint is how in the world to judging us with a worse nation. How in the world does that work? All right. He, uh, look at verse 13. You who are of purer eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong, why do you idly look at traitors? That's the Babylonians, okay? Traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he. Now, the idea here is we're bad, okay, but they are way worse. And historically, that was true. The Babylonians were terrible, all right? We're bad, but they're way worse. How does this make sense? How are you going to deal with us by making someone worse than us conquer us? doesn't make sense to me, okay? Um, Why would God use the really wicked to judge the only kind of wicked? And if you were really confused on verses 14 to 17, that's okay. It's very confusing. Uh, the image here, all right, is of the nations of the world as fish. That's verse 14, okay? And of Babylon, this horrible conquering emperor um, or empire, as a fisherman, okay? Fisherman, all right? And again, you're like, fishing, what's, what's the big deal about that? Imagine if you're the fish, okay? Hook in your mouth, dragging you to your death, all right? And historically, the Babylonians actually did this. When they conquered nations, they drilled holes through their lower lip and they chained captives together in a single file through their lower lips. Kind of like the way a fisherman has his fish on a string. And Habakkuk looks at that and he says, how in the world is that your solution to what's going on in my life right now? How does that help? And then God gives part A of his final answer here. This is uh, chapter 2, verse 2. The Lord answered me, write the vision. Make it plain on tablets so that he may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. This is a difficult verse. But the vision here, the vision is the end of what's going to happen. That end times vision of what God's going to do in the world. His good purposes. The physical, real, tangible good he's going to bring. And the idea here, okay, is that God is bringing good to the world in its appointed time his way. It's sure. It's coming. Even when you look around and you look like there's no way. Even if the path towards God's purposes is unthinkable. The end is good, and it's sure, and he's bringing it. That is part one of God's answer to Habakkuk in his suffering and struggle. So first, uh, I just want to encourage you guys that uh, we have to embrace that God does good and brings good to the world and to our lives his way. He does not answer to us for how he governs the world, right? We, uh, we're Westerners. We're independent. Uh, we have our rules and our ideas. And one of the greatest sins of our culture is our arrogance. We look up to heaven and say, come on, man, be like us. Do things how I want you to do it. And this pastor says, first, God's bringing good. There's hope. But God brings good his way into the world into your life. Consider this for a second. The scriptures have all sorts of uh, examples of how God does this. Uh, If you were God, okay, and you were going to start a nation, right? You're going to pick two people, and their children were going to become a great nation to go over the whole earth, all right? Describe the couple you might pick, okay? My guess is in their, their newlyweds, in their early 20s, child-bearing hips, good genes. Okay, is that that that, that's the idea here? Lots of babies. Okay? You know who God picked to start his nation? He picked two 80-year-olds who had been barren their whole lives. Think about that. Abraham and Sarah barren their whole lives. That's that was God's plan. Okay? If you were God, all right, you've probably considered that before. What would I do if I was God, right? Um, and you were going to authoritatively reveal yourself to humanity. You're up in heaven, they can't see you, and you're gonna come down. And show them who you are, all right? My guess is you're going to do Mount Sinai 2.0, baby. Thunder, lightning, crowd, angels, clouds, noise. Boom! Worship me, right? God comes as a baby with poopy diapers, right? Jesus become a man in all the humility of a child. That's God's plan. And a baby. Not a baby who would grow up to conquer, but a baby who would grow up to be crucified. And I think that uh, that gives us the key to understanding God's ways in our world. You think, uh, you think God's ways are crazy in Habakkuk 1? You think they're crazy in your life? Think about the cross. Could you ever have expected, right? Now, some of us have been, been used to Christianity our whole lives, right? right? We, we, we've, just been, we, we've been soaked in the cross our whole lives. It, there's no idea of it being unexpected to us. But if you were God and you were going to solve the problem of humanity's sin, would you kill your son? Is that your solution? To pour your wrath on your beloved son? That's what God did. God became a man in the Son. God the Father forsook him on the cross, treated him like a sinner. Right? He hung there alone with our sins on his shoulders. That's unthinkable. And yet, it is the one historical event that is hope and life and peace to every person in this room. The way is open to God because Jesus suffered for you. So attempt um, to look at your life, to look at your world through the lens of God the Son hanging on a cross. God took the darkest moment in human history when mankind decided to kill God, and he makes that hope and life and peace for the world. And he's doing that in every world event in every trial in your life. He's doing it his way. I do, I do want to encourage you, though. Uh, it's okay to question. Notice in all these questions, I mean, Habakkuk accuses God twice of idly looking at evil. That's a pretty serious accusation to bring to the Lord. The Lord does not rebuke him. You notice that? There's no, like, shut up, kid, I'm God, right? There's none of that here. God, God's, God's answering His questions. He's engaging with Him. So, man, if you got if you got something this morning, I'm not saying you can't ask God about it. Ask Him, but be willing to receive the kinds of answers God gives. He doesn't He doesn't answer you with a a 30 year plan for your life and 35 reasons why this terrible thing's gonna work out for good. <clears throat> All right? He doesn't do that. Um, and I, I think these questions can be really hard when they're when they're personal stuff. Personally, one thing that I that's not really a, a major struggle, but just confounds me, is I will go through episodic insomnia. I'll sleep like a baby for three months, and then I won't sleep at all for a week or two. And it will drive me crazy. I mean, I'm just, who here has been awake at 3 o'clock in the morning for no reason, right? right? And then you get up the next day, and what do you start thinking about? What if I don't sleep tonight? And then it just just swirls all day long, and you feel crazy. And I'm only wake i like, what's happening, you know? This makes no sense. Just let me sleep so I can be useful to you, you know? And uh, I was, this, last time this happened, I was just really praying about it and really like, Come on, why, Lord? And it happened that I was in a 1 Peter 5 uh, in my quiet times, which is written to a suffering church who was going through real suffering, not just insomnia, okay? Peter's call to them is to humble themselves under God's hand. The answer I received from God about why I wasn't able to sleep was that God was after my humility. He was after my not relying on the strength you get from sleeping well. Um, so, maybe what the Lord might be saying to you is, you may not be able to see it, but that thing in your life right now is good for you. It's working on something you can't, you can't imagine. I'm going to take it. I'm going to work it for your good. And second, here's the here's the one that's going to really stretch all of us today. Um, let God's ways, even his ways that seem awful, fill you with awe. Uh, That word, awful, it actually used to mean, like, all full, like, full of wonder and amazement. We've just kind of, because we're a negative culture, we just made it awful, you know? Um, uh, It means terrible now, but it used to mean full of awe, something that inspires. And so, Take what is naturally awful to you. You look at something that's horrible, something that hurts, okay, and make that awful. This happens in the scriptures. In Romans 11, Paul takes two chapters in Romans to talk about the most difficult issue in God's providence there is, why God chooses some people to be saved and not everybody. You don't think that's true? Just read the Bible. Read Romans 9, 10, and 11. It's so hard. Paul starts off by weeping over the Jews, <coughs> over his people who he says God had not chosen at that point in time, right? And here's how, the, here's how the two chapters on this extremely hard, difficult theological question ends. This is Romans 11, the very end. Oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and inscrutable his ways. He ends in a little worship song, right? He ends this discussion on this really, really hard question, this painful question in worship. So attempt to let the things in your life that you see as awful become all full to you. Look at something crazy in your life and stand back and be blown away that you know and love and serve a God who can take that pain and make it your glory. Look at something terrible that happens in our culture and the world. And be filled with wonder that you serve a God who can take horrible things and use them to bring everyone one step closer to the kingdom. There's this uh, song and uh, by Shane and Shane that I love. I just love Shane and Shane. Favorite band ever. Okay, uh, It's called uh, Though You Slay Me, which is a phrase from the book of Job. But this song, this song just takes all of the wise and turns them into worship. I'll just read you a little bit of the lyrics. He says this. You strike down to bind me up. You say you do it all in love that I might know you and your suffering. Though you slay me. That means kill. Though you slay me. Yet I will praise you. Though you take from me, I will bless your name. Though you ruin me, still I will worship. Sing a song to the one who's all I that's an incredible place to go with sorrow and pain. It's wonder. But how? That's a great question. You might be thinking, okay, intellectually, that sounds great. Emotionally, that's impossible, right? I can't look at volcanoes erupting and destroying lives in Hawaii and be happy about that or be, be in awe about that. I can't look at the pain in my life and be okay. Um, and that brings us to the Lord's part two answer to Habakkuk. Part one is I'm bringing good, I'm doing it my way. Part two is verse four. This is a verse that is just central uh, to Habakkuk and really to parts of the New Testament too. It says this, Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by his faith. We only embrace that God does good his way By faith. Um, Just to get you get the context of Habakkuk, okay? Who are the people that are making Habakkuk's life so miserable right now? Who are the Babylonians who are going to come and destroy him and his nation? They are part A of verse 4. The ones whose souls are puffed up and not upright within him. He's surrounded by the wicked. The wicked are coming soon to conquer his nation. And God says to him very clearly that they are not upright. Their end is very clear in the scriptures. The arrogant, wicked, self-trusting, no matter how much they prosper in this life, no matter how much junk happens, God opposes them. There's a day coming when it will be dealt with. If you've been hurt, man, listen. There's a day coming when your hurts hurt, you're going to be dealt with, repaid. Um, but beware, uh, this arrogance might still live in your life. There's oftentimes a correlation between personal arrogance and questioning God and his ways. Uh, let me just let me, let me, let me try to help you understand, how can I be in Sunday school and maybe be this guy in verse 4? How is that possible? Let me ask you a question, okay? This is a, a very easy evangelistic question, all right? I love asking people this, all right? Jesus appears right now. Boom. History's over. You're before the throne, okay? And he asks you why should I let you into my heaven? Why? All right. Just in your head, real quick. Just formulate an answer to that, just real quick. All right. And uh, here's what I want to say: If if your answer began with the pronoun I, right? Well, I uh, I would really beware that you might be in verse four. This arrogance might lie in you. Um, a lot of people say things like, "Well, I've tried to be faithful." You know, I've tried to attend church. I've been around. I've I've, I've tried to obey you. Um, I've done, I mean, I've done, I'm not as good. As, I, I know I'm a sinner, but like I've tried, right? Guys, that is self-trust. You see that? When Jesus asks you, why should I let you into the kingdom? And the answer begins with something that you have done, even if that is Christian obedience. That's self-trust. The answer, that, uh, the, a gospel answer to that question is the only reason I get into heaven is because Jesus lived a perfect life and died for me. Um, and uh, you might be wondering, how, do, how did we get there from Habakkuk 2-4? Well, in uh, Romans 1, you guys can turn there really quickly if you'd like to. Uh, this is the key verse for interpreting, I think, the entire book of Romans. Um, Paul says the verse you guys all memorized in middle school. Verse 16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. But in verse 17 it says this for in the gospel the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written in Habakkuk 2.4, the righteous shall live by faith. That there's this thing that is demonstrated in Habakkuk that is central uh, to being right with God through Jesus, and that is faith. Faith is a steadfast trust. It's reliance upon someone else. We could say in Habakkuk, it's it's trusting that God brings his goodness his way. That there's no other way to receive the blessing of salvation from God besides the one way he has chosen. Um, Trusting. Jesus with your soul when you cannot see him is faith. Trusting Jesus to be righteous before God when every other world religion and every inclination of your heart says, do this. Get your quiet times and God will love you. Be in church and God will love you, right? Faith is saying no. It's just what Jesus did. But it's not just to be righteous before God. Here's the key. If I've lost you with this, okay, come back, all right? Here's the key to Habakkuk 2.4, all right, And and this entire book, okay? Faith is not just the beginning of the Christian life. It's not just the starting place. It's not just, you, you don't just begin with trusting Jesus and then you kind of figure out the life on your own. Faith is the pathway of the Christian life. Faith is not just how I relate to God through Jesus that one time, now I'm righteous, okay? Faith is how I interpret my news feed on my Apple, my, my app, right? It's how I interpret, oh my gosh, 50 were killed in Syria today. School shooting happened again, right? Um, North Korea is going to launch a nuke, whatever, okay? Uh, faith is how I interpret those things. Faith is how I interpret a terrible day at work, right? Life not making sense, this season of my life not being, feeling meaningless. Faith is how you walk with God through life. What this verse is calling Habakkuk to do is say, hey, listen, right now, as a righteous man, here's how you're going to live, Habakkuk. You're going to endure this, this difficult season and this difficult life ahead of you in Babylonian exile. You're going to live by faith, by trusting in me. And um, you, guys, you guys have experienced this. When things are okay in here, right, when life is all right inside, you can deal with a lot out here. The struggle is when stuff's not right in here. When, you're, when your soul is downcast, even easy days are hard. And so God is saying, Habakkuk, trust me. If you trust me, it will be well within, even when it's not well without. So uh, here's, here's the one application thing I really want you guys to walk away with today. Have you ever asked God for the gift of faith like this? Have you ever asked him to give you faith? Um. Sometimes I think we try to work at it. We try to build up. No, we, we should build up our faith. We should try, right? But if you ever ask God to give you faith like this, when you, uh, when you doubt your faith, actually, this is crazy. Uh, the Barna research, the Pew research says that in any given church, 25% of the people in the audience are in a season of doubt or they're doubting some intellectual question of the Christian faith or they're doubting their own salvation. So a quarter of you guys in this room right now are there. Maybe you are. And uh, one thing I just want to encourage you, if you're there, ask God to give you faith. There's a scene when uh, Jesus comes down from the mountain, nobody and they, is back to junk. This is, I think, in Mark 7. And there's this guy who has this son, um, and nobody's ever been able to cast this demon out of him. His, son's been, his life has been ruined. And uh, he says, Lord, if you can help us, heal him. And Jesus says, if you can. And the guy says to him, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Maybe that's the prayer you pray today. So uh, you guys be proud of me. I uh, have been teaching young adults for almost a year and not quoted Lord of the Rings one time, (laughs) even though it's my favorite series of all, okay? I'm blowing that today. Here we go. Um, There's the scene uh, in Return of the King, okay, uh, where Samwise Gamgee, which is a great name for a, A kid, anyways. Um, He's uh, Frodo's companion. Uh, If you hate Lord of the Rings, think it's it's stupid. Okay. Uh, Two people, all right, are sent to destroy something terrible. But to do so, they have to go somewhere really, really terrible. Just the two of them, and this weird evil thing with them. Anyways. um, Okay. So they finally, they finally get, after two very long books, they finally get to the place they've been aiming for the whole time, and it's terrible. And the the thought crosses their minds, there ain't no way we're getting out of here. We're going to die doing this. And um, they're kind of processing how they feel like all hope is lost, how it's over. And here's what happens to Sam one night, okay? Here's what Tolkien writes. Sam is seeing something. He says, far above the mountains in the west, the night sky was dim and pale. There, in the sky, peeping among the clouds above a dark peak high in the mountains, Sam saw a white star twinkle for a while. The beauty of it smote his heart, and as he looked up out of the forsaken land, hope returned to him. Now here's the, here's the kicker. For like a shaft clear and cold, the thought pierced him that in the end, the shadow, the darkness, was a small and passing thing. There was light and high beauty forever forever. Beyond its reach. That is a picture of a Christian who's trusted Jesus practicing faith when they encounter the evils of the world. You see the darkness, you're in the middle of it, hope seems lost, but beyond it, you see the joy and high beauty that is forever beyond its reach. Faith looks at the darkness in your life. In the darkness in the world, and says it's just a small and passing thing. And that faith through relationship to Jesus as you walk with Him, as you're filled with the Spirit, can be yours this morning. Take that one thing that is messing up your life right now. Ask God to give you this kind of faith. Let's pray. Lord, uh, we just, uh, we do ask you. Um, just for, for what is really a miracle, uh, that as sinners we would walk in our own brokenness, in a broken world, and yet trust you and look to you. I just pray there would be many people in this room this morning who are just made well by trusting you. They'd be able to, with their questions and with their sorrows, um, trust you. And find the joy and peace that's there. Pray you do that in us. Pray you work in us. In Jesus' name, amen.